The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 17, 2021, on the basis of Mark 10, verses 32 through 45. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I have to admit, when I looked ahead at that schedule of assigned readings and and found out the readings that we were going to be using this morning, I felt a little bit of relief. See, you might recall two weeks ago, I preached a sermon. That was the very first sermon in this worship series that was all about taking a stand for Scripture. And specifically, it was about submitting to the authority of Scripture on some issues that are more than a little bit controversial in our world today. Standing with scripture on things like human gender, human sexuality, and God's gift of marriage. Things where taking a stand isn't always the easiest thing to do. Where taking a stand might bring us some opposition. But then I looked ahead and I saw that today we'd be talking about grace. Grace is often defined as God's undeserved love for us. God loves all people, and God loves you, no matter what. Who doesn't like the sound of that, right? It's no wonder that Christians all over the world, and even some non-Christians, sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Convincing you to take a stand for grace this morning should be a pretty easy thing to do, right? Well, then I actually looked at the readings that were assigned for today, including the one that is the basis for this morning's sermon. And I recalled that taking a stand for something is far more than just sort of mentally acknowledging that something sounds like a good idea, hypothetically speaking, in the abstract. No, taking a stand for something is going to have implications for your life in very specific and very concrete ways. Today's lessons almost also made me realize that as much as opposition to taking a stand for certain things can come from outside of us, from the world around us, just as often opposition to the things that we are called to take a stand for can come from the inside of us. And so I was reminded why when the Bible talks about grace, it actually doesn't use words like amazing or sweet-sounding. In fact, sometimes when the Bible talks about God's grace for us in Jesus Christ, it uses words like offensive and scandalous. Taking a, a stand for grace this morning is by no means an opportunity for us to enjoy a little bit of relief. It's not the kind of situation where we can kind of just take a moment to relax and say, well, of course, We take a stand for God's grace. That's what makes us Christians in the first place. As we look at these verses from Mark chapter 10 this morning, we are going to see that standing for grace will always be costly. There's really nothing else that can quite possibly explain the seemingly odd behavior of Jesus' disciples in these verses that are in front of us this morning. This section starts out with Jesus talking to his disciples about what was going to happen to him, how in Jerusalem he was going to suffer and be put to death. And this is actually the third time recorded for us in Mark's gospel where Jesus talks to his disciples about this. Maybe you would think that the third time would have been the charm. Instead, it ended up being the third strike 
for Jesus' disciples. One more time, just like the previous two, Jesus' disciples demonstrate that they don't get it. This time it comes in the form of two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, going to Jesus with a question. They ask Jesus, can we sit on your right and on your left when you enter into your glory? In other words, Jesus, when you are king, when you are sitting on your throne, when you have overthrown all of our enemies, can we be your right and your left hand men? Can we be your top advisors? And it wasn't just the two disciples, James and John, who were wondering this, because Mark tells us that when the other ten found out that James and John had called dibs on these two very important seats, they were upset. They wanted those seats too. Now realize that this, this question, this favor that the disciples asked of Jesus was more than a little bit of bad timing. It was more than just a, a little bit inconsiderate or rude to ask for a favor right after Jesus had talked about all of the horrific things that were going to happen to him. Now the reason Jesus was so upset with this question that they asked was because it was completely antithetical to everything that he stood for. In fact, it was completely antithetical to grace. And in fact, in asking this question, these disciples were becoming, they were turning into the very thing that they opposed and despised most. And Jesus points that out to them. He says, out there in the world, among the rulers and kings of this world, that's where life works like this. Out there, people get rank and status and position and power based on what they have earned or deserved. And once they have that rank or status or position or power, they use it to their own advantage, even if it comes at the expense of the people underneath them who have obviously earned a lot less. Jesus' disciples knew firsthand what it was like to suffer under that very thing. And yet Jesus says to them, not so with you. Rather than just trying to turn the tables and flip them upside down, Jesus calls them to live a life that is completely different. Rather than trying to be someone's king, Jesus tells them to make themselves someone's servant. Rather than trying to be someone's master, Jesus tells them to make themselves someone's slave. Do you know what that forces a person to do? It forces them to ignore whatever it is that they think they have earned or deserved. It forces them to ignore whatever it is that they think someone else has earned or deserved. In other words, it forces them to take a stand for grace. See, it's easy enough for us as Christians to tell ourselves that we are all about grace. And of course, as Christians, we are all about grace. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we have forgiveness, we have life, we have salvation. Those are God's free gifts to us. Who doesn't like the sound of that? But taking a stand for grace is about much more than liking the sound of it. It means being willing to enter into a realm, a kingdom, where the rules by which the rest of life normally operates no longer apply where we don't get to constantly ask ourselves, what do I deserve? 
where we don't get to constantly ask ourselves about others. What do they deserve? What have they earned from me? It's not as if there are one set of rules that apply in our relationship with God and then another set of rules that we can apply in our relationship with other people. If the rules of grace apply to me, then the rules of grace must also apply to thee. And so as much as it might seem an easy thing to do, to take a stand for God's grace, his unconditional love for us, standing for grace will always be costly. And maybe that explains why so often we suffer from what might be called spiritual Stockholm syndrome. Do you know what Stockholm syndrome is? It's not any sort of official psychological diagnosis, but it, it is where someone who is held hostage actually starts to sympathize with the people who are holding them captive. It's named after a, a bank robbery that took place in Stockholm, Sweden, back in 1973. Four hostages were held captive in that bank for a total of six days. It's almost unbelievable. Hard to imagine a scenario where someone who is held hostage could possibly start to side with the person holding them captive instead of the people who are trying to set them free. And yet, what else explains the disciples' behavior in these verses? And for that matter, what else explains the way that we so often act? We know what it is like for people who in this world have power or wealth or status or popularity to assume that they have earned it and to use it for their advantage, even when it comes at our expense. We know what that is like. And yet, because taking a stand for grace is so costly, rather than embracing this other set of rules where people do not get treated according to, their, according to what they deserve, we instead just try to turn the tables upside down. We look for any opportunity at all where we can have the power, where we can have the status or the wealth or the popularity, and we, because we've earned it, can use it to our own advantage even when it comes at someone else's expense. We start to side with the very principle that is holding us hostage and we embrace the rules that so often make life so hard. So thankfully, being rescued from this does not depend on the willingness of the hostages to be rescued. As I mentioned, this is actually the, the third time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus talks about what is going to happen to him. And actually, in these verses, he gets into far greater detail than he ever had before. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be put to death. Jesus describes it all in vivid detail. And yet, what sets this time apart is not so much the great detail that Jesus uses. Instead, it's something else. You have a really good memory, you might recall from several weeks ago, the last time that we talked about Jesus talking about these things, that Mark had told us that Jesus' disciples were afraid to ask him about it. Afraid to ask not what was going to happen, but afraid to ask Jesus why it was going to happen, why he had to suffer and die. Well, finally, the third time is the charm. Finally, when Jesus talks about his suffering and death, he also explains why it's going to happen. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. Yes, taking a stand for grace is so costly that sometimes the hostages will even side with their captors rather than the one who is trying to set them free. And yet in that one simple short statement, Jesus takes a stand for grace that is anything but fickle, anything but hypocritical. He demonstrates an ironclad commitment to paying a ransom price that will set the hostages free. He says, the Son of Man came to pay this ransom price. In other words, Jesus didn't come to this world primarily to travel around and give a few good lectures, perform a few miracles so that people would be really impressed with him and think he's a really good guy. And then he had just a little bit of extra time on his hand, and so he decided to die on the cross at the end. No, Jesus came for that very reason, to offer himself as a ransom, to die on the cross to set us free. Jesus also highlights the price that he had to pay. It wasn't just the little bit of extra that he had. It wasn't just what he could spare without, really, without it really costing him all that much. No, instead, he gave his very life. Recently, I, I read a story of a, that was told by a surgeon who was performing life-saving surgery on a young girl in the hospital. The surgery wasn't going all that well. Things weren't looking good. They needed some O-negative blood and they had run out at the hospital. Thankfully, this young girl had a twin brother. And so they asked him if he would be willing to donate some of his blood, telling him that it was a matter of life and death for his sister. Little boy paused for a second, took a deep breath, agreed, and as they took him away to, uh, to another room, so he could make the donation, he said goodbye to his parents. After he was done giving blood, he turned to the doctor and said, so when will I die? He assumed that he was sacrificing his life for hers, and he was willing to do it anyway. Friends, you and I have a brother who was not just willing to give his life for us. We have a brother who actually did it. He laid down his life in place of ours. And then finally, Jesus reminds us of the wonderful news that he did this for many. He paid this price not just for some, not just for the people that he really liked, not just for the people who had sufficiently impressed him or he was okay with being associated with. No, he gave this price for many. In other words, this is not the type of situation that you and I are now being warned about. It might happen with toys and other gifts this Christmas. We are not going to run out of the ransom price that Jesus paid. We're not going to go to the shelves looking for some only to find out that they are empty. No, Jesus paid this price for many. Yes, he paid this price for all. He paid this price for you. You know, I kind of wonder what it would be like to be a soldier or a law enforcement officer who is trying to rescue someone who is suffering from Stockholm Syndrome to put yourself in harm's way, to maybe even put your life on the line, trying to rescue someone who maybe doesn't want to be rescued, someone who actually sides with their captors as opposed to the people who are trying to set them free. Thankfully, when faced with that very situation, Jesus didn't flinch. He didn't blink. He didn't hesitate. He came to give his life as a ransom for us all. And he did it 
It's done. And so, yes, forgiveness and life and salvation, those are all gifts from God to you. Those are all gifts that he gives you absolutely free of charge. Whatever power, whatever rank, whatever status, whatever popularity or wealth you might long for in this life, they are completely eclipsed by the priceless and indestructible gifts that God has given to you in Jesus Christ and given to you for free. Given to you for free also so that you would be free. So that each and every day, those chains that so often hold us captive crumble and fall to the ground. So that you and I, each and every day, can take those rules that apply to our relationship with God and turn around and apply them to our relationships with others. So that we can stand for grace, no matter how costly it might be. And finally, that's where a little bit of relief sets in. Out of all the areas of our lives as Christians where we might face opposition from the world, out of all the things about Jesus that we might represent to the world where they might oppose us, I don't think grace is going to be one of them. Out of all the opposition we might find for taking a stand for grace on the inside, I'm not sure how much is going to come from the outside. In fact, I think the opposite is going to be true. That in a world where in every other facet of life things work the opposite way, from home to the workplace to school to online, where everything operates according to the rules, where we are mercilessly and ruthlessly given exactly what we deserve to show even just a tiny bit of grace will be like a beam of light shining into an otherwise dark prison cell. A beam of light that maybe even allows people to see about grace what you see. That God's grace, offensive and scandalous as it is, is also pretty amazing too. Amen. Amen.